welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. This is Drew. How's it going, everybody? Hey, hey. So, uh, with the new year, we've decided to try out a couple of new, different uh, topics, you know, to, to give to you, all of our, uh, all of our listeners, whom, whom we respect and love. And, Why do you uh, always call our listeners gutter trash? Because we have to have a name for them, because that's what all uh, all branding is about, right? We're we're constantly giving our 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 uh, listeners a, a a name that they can refer to lovingly, lovingly, affectionately. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they're they're affectionate gutter trash to me. <laughs> I, mean I, I was it. going with I was going with in betweeners, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know. All, all you guys listening out there, which one do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I did it in a mocking way just because I find the entire concept of uh, uh, of branding on that level to be, uh, what's the word, somewhat whorish. So I don't really have any intention of doing that, but I do it <laughs> just for my own personal amusement. <laughs> Oh, okay. I, I thought you were taking a page out of uh, Insane Clown Posse and you wanted your own juggalos. Uh, no, but, uh, I mean, if you if you really look at uh, all the different podcasters and, um, you know, whoever's out there trying to, trying to make a following for themselves, that's a thing that they do. And, uh, I, I, yeah, I'm still on the fence. I don't know if I have any actual respect for that sort of um marketing mm-hmm. in fact yeah, that, that, that's fair in fact i probably don't have respect for that kind of marketing but <laughs> i'm willing... probably because if you're thinking about the guy i'm thinking of we don't respect him <laughs> exactly <laughs> but you know what if it gets his followers i'll do it <laughs> if it gets his followers and listeners and fans i'll i'll come up with a name for you guys and merch and logos whatever you know i'm i have no moral center whatsoever i i I lack integrity (laughs) whatever you guys want in betweeners or gutter trash uh yeah so today's episode we're gonna be focusing on something a little different we're gonna do a long form run of a series and uh we've been talking about it for a while now uh, between, uh, I mean, uh, off the podcast, me and Drew have been talking about it, but uh, we wanted to basically do a read through of an entire series uh, and discuss it with you, our listeners, our beloved gutter trash, <laughs> or in betweeners, whatever, <laughs> whatever you prefer. We can take a poll. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so the series that we're going to be discussing, and it's actually pretty apt because uh, they just they're just turning it into a show, and it's going to be released at some point this year, uh, March twenty sixth. So March twenty sixth. So uh, if you want to get ahead of the curve on that, this is the source material. This is the place to be. This is uh, what you want to listen to right here. You got to be in the know with us, you know. <laughs> So I'm going to get to it because I've just been priming the pump and not telling you what the series is, but we are going to be doing a long-form read-through of Invincible uh, by uh, Robert Kirkman and Ryan Otley. 
That's right. So this is a pretty long series. It's a 144-issue series. I don't know if uh, you longtime listeners may remember, but way back in episode 16 of our show, when we were talking about general superhero fiction recommendations, Invincible was my recommendation. So I guess if you feel like digging back in our archives, you can uh, find that episode and see what we had to say back then. But uh, moving forward, we're going to act like Albert said, we're going to be reading through the series. So I'd say about once a month, you can expect an episode where we go through a couple of trades worth of stories, probably about like 12, 13 issues at a time. Today's episode, we're going through issues one through 13, which is the first three trade paperbacks. You can uh, obtain them uh, in a bunch of different ways. I mean, they're on Comixology. You could buy the trade paperback collections. There are hardcovers. And there's also these uh, massive compendiums that that they've put out too. Um, and the compendiums are on Comixology. But I've seen them on sale at bookstores for like 20 bucks. And you get like, I don't know, like it's 50 issues or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's it's like a, a crazy amount of of uh material um you know you just have to be careful because it's a still a paperback spine and you might mess it up but if you don't mind that it's it's just a cool thing to hold in your hands because you get so much story totally so i'm gonna go into a brief uh just synopsis of what invincible is about uh is that cool yeah yeah okay so Invincible is the story of a young teenage boy who, whose, whose father is uh, a superhero by the name of Omni-Man from a race uh, known as the... How do you pronounce that, Drew? Vit- I think they're just called Viltramites. Viltramites. And, uh, yeah, so he, so he hails from uh, a race known as the Viltramites, and his, his mother is is a human woman and it's the story of him discovering that his birthright is these superpowers that you know that basically make him on the level of like a superman type character he has the ability to fly he has the ability to uh oh, he has super strength he has the ability actually that's all i he's super durable yeah uh, super so, speed super speed so those i, I uh, supposedly, as time goes on, uh, he'll develop more powers. But in short, it's the story of him, uh, you know, coming of age, learning about his powers, and just relishing and yeah, just relishing being a superhero. You know, it's it's just yeah, that's that's the brief spoil-free version of the. <laughs> of spoil- the- I'm gonna make that happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen, and then I'm gonna make a T-shirt, and I'm gonna sell those T-shirts because again, I I'm a whore. <laughs> so so that is our spoiler-free version of uh, the story of Invincible. Um, yeah, uh, what what's yeah. his name? Mark Marcus Mark Mark Grayson. Mark I think Grayson. his full name actually is Marcus, but yeah. he goes by Mark. Yeah, Mark so Grayson. Mark yeah, it, it's basically very similar to uh, the Spider-Man concept, right? It, it's it's uh, a teenage 
a teenager learning uh, that he has great power and trying to use it responsibly while juggling all of his other, you know, typical teenage things, mainly going to school and trying to do his homework and work a part-time job and, uh, you know, deal with his social circle and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that formula that, that Spider-Man basically made popular and Mm -hmm. we've just seen ever since. And it feels like in every decade, because, you know, kids grow up and they become bitter adults, especially if they're me and Drew. Yeah. But <laughs> with every generation, there are new kids who are still hopeful and doe-eyed and still have faith that the world around them is a just and uh, noble place. Right, so right. They make stories for these kids. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every you, you, every all of decade. you listening might not be able to hear it, but I have a gun in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm as I'm speaking to you. There's a there, there's a barrel of a gun in my mouth. <laughs> Shanka Donka, indeed. <laughs> you were gonna say, Drew? Yeah, I was just gonna say that. Uh, that's that I absolutely agree. You know, it's just one of those things where it's such a, a simple concept, but everybody's always got a take on it. And a lot of those uh, characters kind of fell by the wayside because there are probably just so many of them, but the ones that, that did end up lasting, I think uh, just kind of shows you that the idea of teenage superhero juggling a normal teenage life and superheroics is always you know a fun a fun basic premise that has a lot of potential for uh stories and obviously uh, a lot of people who are interested in reading superhero comics enjoy those kind of stories when they're done well yeah i mean just thinking about um the recent past couple like the past few decades right there's always been a couple of uh big teenage superhero comics going on like i don't know who it is right now maybe it's uh i don't know if it's ms marvel or or miles morales but those would probably be the big two um mm. maybe not so much because of the actual comics but at least because of the all the other media that they're in right all the other um like the tv shows cartoons movies even video games they're they're just popular popular characters and of course uh invincible which was created in the early 2000s issue one uh was released january 2003 and it yeah it lasted 144 issues so it ended just a couple years ago Mm. i'd say invincible was for that period of time like the ultimate uh teen hero comic i mean there was also Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man, you got to include that in the conversation. Yeah. In the 90s, I'd say the main thing was Static from DC and Milestone. Yeah. Um, I was... Go ahead. No, no. I was trying to think of who, who was who was it in the 80s, man, but I, I can't think of it right now. I think there were a lot. I mean, you had like the New Warriors. Um, I, don't I know guess the Teen Titans. Did the Teen Titans count? Yeah, I'd, I'd count the Teen Titans. 
Um, I don't know if, yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if Nova counts. Uh, like, oh yeah, no, Nova's back. probably like one of the ones that was more on the forgotten end. Well, I mean, when was he created? Like in the seventies, maybe sixties. Uh, that I'd have to check, but yeah, it just feels be... like he's he's remembered now, but not because of his uh career as a teenage superhero. It's more about the fact that he's a cosmic hero. Yeah. I think that's, that's what true. he's more known for now. But, you know, at the time when he came out, he was a he was a teenage superhero, right? I mean, that was kind of his thing from what yeah. I remember. Richard Ryder. Yeah. Um Yeah, I'm trying to think. He originally 80s. created 1976. Yeah. Well, well, we also forgot that there was the era where we had Robin, the Robin comics, Tim Drake. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's another good 90s. 90s teen hero yeah. comic yeah and the thing i was going to mention is on some level like I, I i sort of talked said it earlier but just to clarify like on some level it makes sense that every generation like rehashes these not not rehashes but redoes these teen superhero stories where you know you tell the story from the perspective of a teenage superhero because realistically speaking being a teenager changes for each generation you know yeah like i i don't know maybe maybe there's something about being an older person where the you know the themes of being old are kind of universal <laughs> you know there's like you know there's always some disconnect with current culture or you know feelings of just aging out or feelings of uh, it could be something as simple as just not really understanding how uh young people these days communicate and engage with each other or yeah. even their slang yeah that yeah exactly but uh you know the the big publishers are constantly every few years they try to roll out like the big new teen superhero for that generation that mm -hmm. speaks to teenagers which mm -hmm. is funny because they're getting like grown men to talk to tell these stories about yeah. teenagers. <laughs> but okay, sure. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess it'd be interesting to see like a uh, a teenager actually read something like Invincible or Ultimate Spider Man and see if they feel like it's true to their teenage experience. Well, see that that's a thing though because things like ultimate spider-man and invincible these are a generation old like these are for close to, like basically people are generation right yeah so when we were teenagers yeah yeah well so it's harder to imagine what a modern teenager today would make yeah. of these books well to be fair when they came out we weren't teenagers we were like already in college i think <laughs> yeah that's true in we were in our invincible. we were, we were in, in our 20s sure. yeah 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 but but even then it's like you we're not we weren't so far removed from high school and our teenage years that we couldn't really remember or relate you know like i i feel like when i when i read stuff like ultimate spider-man or invincible obviously my high school experience was different from those kind of fictionalized presentations but i think something about the uh emotional content there's still something relatable and, and true in how they're presented you know just in terms of 
of how kids are and how they uh, how they relate to one another. I guess that could be a universal thing. I mean, there there are certain aspects that uh, are probably pretty different for kids today because technology has uh, changed a lot. I think because if you compare um, like the early two thousands, what it was like to be a teenager in the early two thousands versus what it was like to be a teenager in, in like the 90s or maybe even the 80s probably wasn't that much different. But like now because of uh, the proliferation of devices and, and technology and social media, I feel like kids today have it way different than uh, previous generations. Yeah, well, I mean... Well, I mean we're, at, we're looking... at the end of the day... Every era of kids, no matter what technology you do have or you don't have, kids are still going to figure out ways to be rotten to each other. Yeah. And that's well, universal. I mean, I was going to say, we're we're kind of on the other end of that, right, of, of that equation. So mm-hmm. we're, it's been a long time since we've been teens. So it, it's... I, I feel like every... I feel like every group of old people, there's always people who look at teens today and say like what's wrong with kids today ragamuffins um (laughs) gutter trash (laughs) but 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 the thing is like i don't i don't know like so maybe okay this is more of a philosophical discussion than it is a, a discussion about comics at this point but i'm sure there's people who looked at us when we were teens and were like you know yeah you know these kids have VHS tapes and CD players. What is this? What is they're playing nin- Nintendo and PlayStation? It's witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> Burn them at the stake. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. I'm sure I'm sure, I'm sure that's just the cycle that repeats with every generation. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, who who's more despicable than a teenager? Uh I I have a few words. <laughs> I have a few things that I can say. <laughs> if you really want me to rank people, um, I'm more than happy to, you know, develop a cataloging system and perhaps, you know, some sort of badging system so that I can recognize the people that I truly despise in this world. <laughs> we need to create a the Dewey Decimal System for people that are worth <laughs> hating. Exactly, exactly. I don't even know if the Dewey Decimal System is still a thing. Uh, there are a lot of weird things that I don't know. Like, like I don't think cursive is really a thing anymore. Like, I mean, yeah. it's a thing in that ex- it exists, but like, I, I don't know if people really use it. Like, all those hours that they spent teaching me cursive, like they could have been teaching me like civics or something, like just anything. And yeah. it probably would have been a better use of my time. So, yeah. uh, you know, the education system fails me yet again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, people really use cursive now. And honestly, I kind of prefer them not to because most people's cursive is so hard to read that. It's, yeah, it's yeah. pretty ugly. yeah. But but we digress. We digress. Yes. We we are here to talk about 
the first 13 issues of Invincible. Yes. These yes. issues comprise volumes one, two, and three. Uh, let me run down the credits just so we we have them uh, official. So Robert Kirkman was the writer and the letterer. Uh, Corey really? Walker cool. was the penciler and the inker for issues one through seven. Ryan Otley penciled and inked issues eight through 13. Bill Crabtree was the colorist. And uh, one of the issues has a, has a couple of sequences that are illustrated by uh, different artists. Um, we can get to that later on because it's just a bunch of people. So funny thing is, if, uh, if you're reading this in the trade paperbacks, each of the trade paperbacks, not just these three, but most of the ones uh, for the entire run, there are tw- like 25 individual volumes. And almost all of them are named after a sitcom. Yeah. So volume one is Family Matters. Volume two is Eight is Enough. And volume three is called Perfect Strangers, which I think is kind of funny because I don't really think that the titles always have something to do with with uh, the story. But... but uh, at least at a glance, but when I started to think about why did he choose that title, I could kind of see a connection. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it stuff made sense. Stuff made sense. Like there, there uh, was like a little poetic uh, connection to yeah. the contents inside. If it wasn't poetry, at least it was wordplay. <laughs> yeah. At least wordplay. Yeah. So um, Albert, was this the first time you've read Invincible? Or have you read these before? So the thing of it is, is, I'm pretty sure I read the first 12 issues at least. Mm-hmm. Because um, rereading it again for this podcast, I will say that although the finer details weren't necessarily things that were uh, super clear to me, I will say that in terms of the larger uh, details the you know the kind of the world changing details in of the story right i will say that those details were things that i still remembered so i think the first time that i ever read it i read the first 12 issues i thoroughly enjoyed it but seeing as how it was an ongoing story and i or and i didn't know whether it was when it was going to end at the time uh i think i did what I do with a lot of comics that we're both reading, which is I told myself that since you have it drew, uh, I would just (laughs) read your copies someday when you have a substantial enough chunk of it that I can just Mm -hmm. read it all at once. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to compartmentalize that just so I can focus on, you know, the comics that I have that I haven't read. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Logical. yeah, and that's just how that's where I left it. But now, since we're um, doing it for the podcast, and since the series is actually done, uh, I can read it in its entirety. Uh, the entire, the entire saga. Yeah. 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 My my first time reading Invincible was probably right around the time that the first trade paperback came out. It was just one of those books. I I didn't know anything about it, but when I was at uh, a bookstore, Borders, I think, I just saw it. And because it was something I never heard of, I wanted to give it a try. Yeah. So I I I read volume one and really enjoyed it. Right. 
I was going to say the thing about it that was a huge selling point, not to me personally, but from the publisher's perspective for mm-hmm. them, was that Robert Kirkman was a superstar at this point known for creating The Walking Dead. And so this was, I don't remember if this came out first or if this came out after Walking Dead. This actually predates Walking Dead. Okay. Yeah. But it feels like they were still, you know, one of the big draws or selling points of it was that, oh, the guy that wrote Walking Dead wrote this too. And that makes sense. I mean, like, if I had one property that blew up, I'd probably use it to promote my other stuff, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, here's my son. Uh, he's Jim. He's really great. And I'm sure you guys love him. But have you seen my other son, Bill? He's, you know, I I worked on him too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the thing with Invincible is that it it probably came out uh I don't know like 10 months before Walking Dead number 1 came out. But I I don't think Invincible was a big hit when it first began. Uh yeah. from what I remember at the time it it was it had critical acclaim or you know just people who who really like to read was. a lot of comics yeah. talked about it. Cause I, I still remember, you know, going going to to the Isotope and and they would tell me there uh, about Invincible, you know, like that that was a cool superhero comic that was going on, and it was uh, fresh at the time. Mm. But it wasn't until uh, The Walking Dead came out that Robert Kirkman's name really blew up. I I, I have to imagine that his profile really helped Invincible sales. Yeah, because uh. Yeah, early on, uh, Invincible, it, it sounded like, like I was reading, I have the hardcover editions and there's some uh, commentary and, and some extras in, in the back of it. And from what it sounds like, it, it actually does sound like Robert Kirkman when he when he started, it sounded like he wasn't sure that they were actually going to get 12 issues. And it sounds like there were even uh, some delays in, in the monthly serialization because I think Corey Walker uh, was it was tough for him to keep up with the monthly grind, and maybe he didn't even prefer doing monthly comics. So this title didn't really stabilize until Ryan Otley came on board with issue eight, and he was able to keep it on a monthly schedule. Yeah, yeah. And then you know probably right around that point, The Walking Dead started coming out, and that was that one I remember being an immediate hit. It, it, I still regret not buying the first issue. That was a key issue, Drew. How could you not? Yeah, I wasn't into key issues back then. I'm still not into key issues today. But if I had known then what I know now, I probably would have bought like a hundred of them. <laughs> just like just like I would have bought GameStop stock <laughs> if I had known. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. None of us none of us in, in retrospect, we all wish we had done things differently. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was just reading uh, a comic earlier this uh, this week, or maybe it was last week. It was uh, Wonder Twins from Mark Russell and Stephen Byrne. And there's a scene there where uh, one of the Wonder Twins is talking to her principal, and the principal says to her, "Let me let me make sure I get this quote right. He said, being an adult just means... You become a walking mass of regrets. 
or something to that effect. Mm. Like that's that's basically what it is, right? Yeah. You're just an accumulation of all the regrets you make in life. Yeah. I I it's uh I think there's a, a truth and a poetry to that logic. Mm-hmm. So I I happen to agree with it. I mean yeah. There's more to it, but I I, I agree with it. Yeah. But it's probably best not to dwell on our regrets or uh, <laughs> this could be a pretty downbeat episode. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it certainly wasn't the topic that I was expecting us. Uh, it, it wasn't the path that I wasn't expecting this uh, podcast to go down. Hey, um, Albert, what are your top 25 regrets of all time? <laughs> <laughs> well, I woke up this morning, so that's number one. <laughs> Choosing to face the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the creative team, it's a solid creative team here. Uh, yeah, like we were saying, Robert Kirkman, he he hadn't rocketed to superstardom at this point. But when he did, because uh, of The Walking Dead, I think that that helped uh, the profile of Invincible. Corey Walker, yeah. I don't I mean, know his work that well, um, other than these issues of Invincible. And he'd come back uh, throughout the duration of the series and, and pencil a couple issues here and there. I, I don't really know what else he's done uh, in comics. I mean, he's, he's, I know he's drawn a few Marvel comics, like one-off issues here and there, but, but he hasn't had anything uh, too sustained... So for for all I know, he's he's got like another job that he does to to pay the bills. So I don't really know too much else about him. One thing I do know though is that he was hired as the lead character designer for the Invincible animated series that Amazon Prime is releasing later this year. Well, that's good. Yeah. That's so he's he's still actively involved with it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's. I mean, we can talk about the art a little bit, too, while we're at it. Uh, I mean, just in terms of the style of it, like, I I, I might have missed it earlier, but did you say that um, we had two different artists in that first year of co- of comics? Uh, yeah, true? so Corey Walker, uh, he, he did the first seven issues, and then Ryan Otley came on board with issue eight. Okay, well, I was going to say that reading it, like their styles, the the transition was pretty seamless. Like I, I can honestly say that if it was different, it wasn't so different that it shocked me when I was reading it, you know? Yeah, like, it wasn't jarring. And I, yeah. I have a feeling that for, for people that don't read a lot of comics, they probably wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah. Well, I mean, I read a lot of comics. I'm just not very observant. <laughs> Wait, you really didn't notice? Uh, I don't think I was thinking about it too much. I was just more involved in reading the... Oh, you were so caught up in the story that... Okay. That's cool, man. The the story had (laughs) that kind of effect on your mind that you're just engrossed. You didn't think about all the extraneous stuff. Yeah. Uh, So, like, my house could have been burning down around me and I wouldn't have been aware. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that could have been regret number 25. (laughs) So, 
yeah, like in terms of the art, I I would say that it's really clean looking and it's um really thin line work and it's I don't really have a description for it other than just like superhero art, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh it's yeah, like I I think they do a good job of doing action scenes. There there's um the costume design is pretty terrific. I'd I'd say that Invincible's costume is Yeah, it's a great it's design. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like, it's hard to it's, do a really iconic looking costume, but I'd have to say his costume is an iconic design to me. Hits it right on the mark. Yeah. Um like I I forget, I don't have it in front of me, but it's it's a combination of blue and black and and yellow. I, exactly and the thing is that uh most of the costume is black except for uh certain parts that are blue and his actual headpiece is uh is yellow and yeah and there's a a strip on his torso that's yellow also yeah and together the way that it's uh designed it basically makes him look like the letter i yeah it's the image comics logo it's the image comics logo, which is also another like funny little like detail that it it happens to be um his name, you know, I for Invincible. But yeah. In a cheeky way, it's it's a nod to the fact that, you know, this is an image comic. Mm-hmm. You know? Which mm-hmm. it's 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 meta, but I I enjoy the cheekiness of it, you know? Yeah, totally. One of the things I learned in the in the extras in the hardcover was that originally Invincible was going to be called Bulletproof. Huh. And this wasn't his original costume design. The original costume design, uh, you remember that scene where he, he goes to that special tailor and he tries on a costume that has these solar discs stuck on them? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so originally that was going to be his costume yeah, when they were uh, developing the concept. I'm glad that they went with the invincible costume. Yeah. Because, cause that, so yeah. So the, the original costume that he's just dis- describing, I think it was like orange and yellow. And yep. it had a bunch of like these circular panels all over the body. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to be quite honest, it, it looked pretty generic, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't something that as a design jumped out at me or even stuck with me. Like if anything, I look at that and um you know, for those of you listening, you you probably won't get this unless you've read the comic already, but um I- I'm going to tell it to Drew just cuz he'll probably know. Um but looking at that costume, it just kind of reminds me of Rexplode. Yeah. And I was just like, "Oh, if you know, if I hadn't been paying attention, I would have just been like, "Wait, whoa, uh, why is he in this scene too?" You know, <laughs> <laughs> they both have those uh, funky-looking goggles, and they're both—they both have that color scheme. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the reasons why they didn't go with the bulletproof concept was because right around the time of, right around the time they were developing the comic, uh, Image had another book called Bulletproof Monk. Do you remember that one? Ooh, they made a movie of it. Yeah, it wasn't a very good movie. 
I never actually saw it. Yeah, you're not missing anything. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't assume that I'm <laughs> out. Like, in terms of my top 25 regrets in life, missing that movie was not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that one's like negative 17 or something. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Do you have any, um, do you have any thoughts on the art style or uh, any of the design of it all? I would just affirm what you were saying, man. The yeah. Both of the artists have a similar style. And this is some of the earliest work I've seen from Ryan Otley. Um, yeah. As far as I know, it's probably his earliest professional work, I think. Mm and he would go on to draw invincible for the rest of the run and as yeah. he as he progressed you know doing over 100 issues he would just keep on getting better and better and yeah. nowadays he's drawing amazing spider-man for marvel i think he yeah i think he just finished his last issue recently and he's going to move on and do something else but he had nice. a, he had a decent number of issues on amazing spider-man but uh, yeah, he's he's just become this really great artist. And when you look at the stuff he did on Spider-Man or even just the stuff he did um, in the later years of Invincible, it just gets better and better. Like yeah. the, He still maintains that sort of animated looking style with, uh, I feel like he has a, a great sense of uh, graphic design elements. Um, but he also just in, improves in, in like, the detail and and you know it's just some of the the finer elements of of storycraft so he, he just yeah I, I think he's someone that at first I, I didn't really think too much about his art like i enjoyed it but i think later on like when you get to a couple more volumes from now he starts getting better and better and and that's when i started taking note like okay yeah this guy really is a great artist like i I'm not just enjoying his art because it's um, part of this story that I like, but I'm enjoying his art in and of itself because I like how it looks. Right, right. And another thing about what makes Invincible so distinct, you, I think we got to talk about the lettering and the and the coloring. Like, like first of all, with uh, Kirkman himself lettering it, I feel like that's a pretty rare thing to see in a lot of comics. Like you, you don't often see the writer of the book also lettering his own stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I don't believe he lettered Walking Dead, right? Like wasn't Walking Dead somebody else? Uh, I am not the guy to ask about that. I <laughs> I just found out that he lettered this, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the way he letters Invincible, I want to say Russ Wooten or Wooten lettered walking dead but uh, i'd have to check but um yeah Kirk, the way kirkman letters invincible it totally reminds me of john workman's stuff in uh like the the walt simonson thor if you remember how the lettering in that looked where it it was like big and bold and when he did it sound effects yeah it was grand you know like it yeah. it was really part uh, it was another design element of the art, you know, and that's something that that really stands out. Uh, it gives it a distinct look, and the coloring yeah. by Bill Crabtree. I'd say, I I don't know how you would describe uh, the coloring. I don't necessarily have the the most uh, astute artistic 
uh, vocabulary, but I would or the, say or that the proper grammar. Pretty, uh, I was going to say it's pretty vibrant. If I yeah, really it's vibrant. It. It's bright. It's, it's lively. It's lively. It's, you know, like there, there aren't a lot of scenes in the, in the comic that are murky or dark. Like everything is very um, well colored and bright and you, you're just, your eyes just kind of eat it all up. Um, yeah. I will yeah. say, and this, this might come off in a bad, uh, as, as a negative, but I, I don't mean it as such. Uh, but there is a flatness to, to how their art looks, you know, like, yeah, I think that was the word I was looking for in terms of the colors, the yeah. colors are, are flatter and that's what makes them stand out more because he doesn't use a lot of, uh, weird textures or anything yeah. like that. Exactly. You don't see like cross hatching or shading too much or like, and that's fine because again, I'm just enjoying the ride of just reading this comic and I, I don't need all that, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm not to say that all that stuff is bad. Like, you know, I, I like seeing it in other comics, but I don't need it all the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's nice to have variety. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and it works for this comic because this comic it it's like got this very deceptive style artistically when you just glance at it like if you didn't know anything about Invincible and you just kind of flip through a couple of pages especially like the early issues you would think oh this this is like pretty bright and colorful this would be probably a, a good comic for kids but it's it gets <laughs> that's a good way pretty to put it. graphically violent later on <laughs> Yeah, but it, it's yeah. still, you know, the style is still the same, you know, like it's still drawn and colored the same way, but yeah. it just so happens that the stuff that's being depicted is, uh, you know, people's intestines being ripped out of their bodies yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. So and it, for some weird reason, their intestines are like very brightly red. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it's a it's an interesting stylistic choice where you the the art is kind of like this animated uh style not to say that animation is is all for kids but it it's almost uh drawn in a way where it looks like it it could be uh something that appeals to younger people yeah. um and, and, but it, yeah. the stuff that the content isn't always uh child friendly yeah and and like I also want to clarify that um I don't think it looks cartoony either, right? Like I don't I don't want people listening to this to think that it's cartoony cuz it's not, you know, it's not like they're cute characters or whatever. They're they're proportionate they in terms of like the 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 way that their figures are designed, they're proportionate to mm -hmm people you know it's it's true to life i guess is a way to put it would that would that be accurate to say yeah yeah i mean i mean you're still gonna have i mean it's it's still a superhero comic so there's still gonna be like buff dudes but you know within within that um filter or within that spectrum it's still true to life you know like mm -hmm. it's not it's not a 90s comic it ain't Rob yeah. Liefeld or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's kind of buff, but yeah. <laughs> it's not 
crazy buff. It kind of reminds you what? It kind of reminds me of um, like the DC animated cartoons and how they look. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's the that's the cartooniness that uh, I relate it with. Yeah. Yeah, like a a more action cartoon, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not not like a not Bugs Looney Tunes Bunny. or something. Not Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of design, the other costume design that I wanted to go over was uh, Omni Man, his dad. Mm-hmm. Like, I I thought that was a pretty like heroic looking costume. I don't I don't have it in front of me, but he doesn't wear a mask, so it's it's kinda like Superman in that sense, in that he, Yeah. You know, you just see him his face in all its glory. And mm-hmm. uh and it's orange and white, which is a color scheme that that's pretty rare in costumes. Yeah. Um can't think well, of too many. I think it's red and white. Oh oh, my bad. Red and white. Um, and I think he's just got a big O in the middle of his, uh, chest, right? Yep. Because he's Omni-Man. Because he's Omni-Man. <laughs> and he's an older dude too. So yeah. he's got like graying temples on his hair is, is kind of starting to get white on the sides. Yeah. He's got a really big mustache. Yeah. That's one of the things I wanted to bring up was that there, so we get these flashback scenes where you go back to his planet you know, his home planet, and for some weird reason, everyone on the home planet has a mustache, too. Yeah, well, all the men. <laughs> all the men, yeah. But it's uh, it's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I'm pretty sure they did that on purpose as a joke, but it, it'd be oh, interesting yeah. to see, to hear yeah. why they decided to do that. <laughs> totally, man. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, funny in-jokes, I guess. If, like, for people that are into superheroes you get to see kind of variations of well-known heroes or even uh straight up cameos from other image characters yeah there's there's a lot of like silly stuff that's just in there to be funny like the for example this isn't even about superheroes or this doesn't relate to superheroes but it relates more to the sitcom aspect but the school that that mark attends he goes to reginald Vell johnson high school Reginald Vol Johnson is the actor who played Carl Winslow in Family Matters. <laughs> and then the principal of that school is Principal Winslow. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, so that, that was just, you know, a little thing for somebody who grew up in the 90s. You know, we would laugh at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I just feel like you're right. There, There's a bunch of in-jokes that are like either uh, sight gags, uh, visual gags um or references to other comics and um yeah it's just a really playful comic in spite of uh the violence that you were talking about i mean it's not like you you get like violence on every page of every issue or anything like that but you know but when it does get violent it's like yeah it's obviously violent but yeah, most it, of the time it, it's a pretty playful book yeah, it, it's got a good mix of humor and comedy along with uh, crazy action. And because it's uh, the way that they present the story, they <clears throat> the the action sequences are kind of what you would expect if, if you had like a Superman level 
uh, character, you know, unleashing his full might on somebody else. You know, pe- people are going to get killed in the, in the, uh, there's going to be collateral damage, you know, like yeah. buildings are crumbling around them. And it's kind of like Zack Snyder's Superman, where Superman <laughs> clearly didn't care about the people of the city. So he was just yeah. crushing buildings left and right yeah. just because he was in the middle of a fight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which doesn't work when it's Superman, but it works when it's Omni Man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you want to uh, just dive deep into the the story? You know, go f- go full. Uh, what do you what do you spoyful. call it? Spoyful, 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 or spoilerful discussion? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so. Okay, so at this point, we're just going to jump straight into the story and, um, you know, it, well, we're going to jump into the first year's worth of stories. So, um, you know, if you want to read it on your own, like this could, would probably be a time to cut out. Uh, otherwise, if you want to join us on the ride, feel free to stay on. So, uh, yeah, Mark Grayson, he develops these superpowers and... He's uh he's a teenage boy and he's uh I don't know, he he's I guess he's living his best life, you know, he's he's about to go off to college, he's I wouldn't say that he's bullied or anything, but you know, he's he just lives a very typical like high school life. Mm-hmm. It's just the added fact that he has Superman level powers, you know? Yeah. And for all intents and purposes, uh we see that it it kind of of uh, the invincible as a story avoids the idea of like powers as a curse because Mark Grayson embraces the fact that he has these powers. He takes joy in the fact that he has these powers. Um Yeah. And yeah, and in a lot of ways he's uh a character that Although, although he's, yeah, although he, we're not, uh, it's not exactly like Spider-Man, uh, I would say that since he is, I would say that since he, since we're seeing a lot of those tropes being subverted or, uh, you know, seeing different perspectives on those stories, uh, it's hard to say that it wasn't influenced by Spider-Man anyways, because Hey, guess what? Uh, just by the very fact that it was just by the very fact that it's trying not to be Spider-Man in a lot of ways, it's referencing Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Hold on a sec. (laughs) Dogs go, dogs going nuts. She likes what you're saying about Spider-Man and invincible. Yeah, I think that uh, what you're saying makes sense because it's kind of that idea of uh, being conspicuous by the fact that he's not trying to intentionally uh, make it Spider-Man-esque. That's and it, it just you can't help but think about Spider-Man uh, in a way. I mean, this this kid Mark he has a, a way different home life than Peter Parker ever did. Mark, he he has both his parents are are still alive. His his dad is not only 
Omni-Man, the most famous superhero on the planet and the most powerful one, but also uh, in his civilian identity, he's he's kind of a famous novelist. And, and that's how he provides for for uh, Mark and, and Debbie, uh, Mark's right. mother. Right. And, you know, the family gets along. They, they, uh, there isn't really too much. Really uh, a lot of drama. <laughs> yeah. There isn't really much uh, drama or conflict between them. They, they just, they're just a normal family that, that, that's, yeah. uh, you know, well-adjusted, well-functioning. Uh, like for all intents and purposes, you could even say that Mark Grayson has like the best or the perfect like high school life. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You you said it earlier, but you know he gets along with his parents. He does. It, it's not like it's not cliche in the sense that oh, every teenager has to have um, a rebellious you know, side or something. This rebellious side, or exactly, or like this hate for their parents or what have you. Um, yeah. At least, you know, right here at that moment in time, at the beginning of the story, where we are, like he, he is, he, is, yeah, you, you, you hit it square on the head. He's well adjusted. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He, he has friends. He has a social yeah. life. He even and has a part time job. He's responsible. Yeah. And his powers kick in, and you know, it just takes it to the next level because now he's he's inheriting his birthright which is he gets to be a superhero with his dad and you know live up to all these noble heroic ideals that he's just been surrounded by um yeah and it's one of those situations where growing up he knew that his dad was omni man and yeah. his dad told him at a young age this is where i'm from uh this is what i what i do and yeah. as you get older there's a chance that that you might get some of my powers too so yeah. basically for the past bunch of years, as he's been growing up into puberty and stuff, he's been hoping to get those yeah. powers so he could become a superhero like his dad. <laughs> yeah. I do think that the comic subverts a lot. Uh, I mean, like just left and right, you see a lot of sub subversion of those sort of uh, superhero tropes that we've seen for a lot of years ever mm -hmm. since Spider-Man, you know? So... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so like his dad has these superpowers and you know, we don't we don't see that uh we don't see Mark Grayson going through that whole thing of, oh, I need to make sure that my family don't find out that I have these powers. Yeah. Like it it's quite the opposite. He he embraces it as his birthright. He he embraces it as part of his family's like heritage and he just embraces the lifestyle. And again, that's a subversion of the idea that these superpowers are actually a curse uh, and they're going to ruin your social life or whatever. And if anything, he's got a pretty normal social life. Girls are talking to him. He even goes up and he Wait, meets. That's, that's normal. Oh, uh, uh, Dang. well, we can save that for our regrets podcast. <laughs> <laughs> obviously we didn't talk to very many girls growing up uh, uh, uh. dang actually i guess we don't talk to very many girls as young men either why are we laughing because the only other alternative is to cry there we go 
But yeah, I mean, like I don't feel like we see too much of that that struggle that we've seen with a lot of teenage superheroes for the long, ever since Spider-Man, which is, oh, I can't go to the prom because, you know, uh, the vulture is attacking or I, I, I had a date with this girl, but I had to cancel it because I had to go save the save the school from the hobgoblin or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. we, we don't really see too much of uh, those kinds of, I guess, tropes. Yeah. Which which I think is pretty cool of Robert Kirkman and on some level I it's 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 telling it of how much it's fresh. It's it's telling of how much he knows comics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um because he just decided we're going to find a way to tell uh you know to 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 tell a new kind of drama uh involved mm-hmm. with being a superhero mm-hmm. and I, I thought that was pretty well done. Yeah. You know, another uh, related element to that is how his own mom knows that he's a superhero and she doesn't really have a problem with him going out at night, fighting crime and punching bad guys up. Yeah. Like she's, yeah. she's like so accustomed to her husband, Omni man uh, doing all this stuff where she just kind of takes it all in stride. And, and that's kind of played for a little bit of comedy too. Cause you know, there, there's scenes where she's like, sitting at home getting dinner ready and and uh mark and and nolan are both late to the to dinner because they're out fighting crime or something and she's like oh i thought i was gonna have to eat by myself tonight or you know there's that that other issue where yeah she's super (laughs) casual about it there's that other issue where where uh mark gets back home after fighting somebody and then uh omni man he actually got sucked into another dimension or something. So he couldn't yeah, make it back. He was gone for like a while. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he tells her what happened. He, Mark tells his mom what happened and she's like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's more pork chops for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, as you read the story or as you read the comic, you'll see more and more of this. Uh, just, and I will say that it's refreshing, you know, especially mm-hmm. as uh, coming from someone who's read a lot of comics. Uh, and a lot of superhero comics at that. And a lot of superhero comics. It's it's interesting to see um, the different uh, the different take that uh, Robert Kirkman uh, applied to Invincible. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, one of the first stories, for example, is... Uh, yeah one of the first stories was about how like there was a there's like a mad bomber in the city right yeah and uh what what he's been doing is he's been kidnapping these students from school he's been converting their bodies into bio bombs and essentially just leaving them in places to like blow up uh to 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 just blow up and I would say that the 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 thing that I noticed about that story was that the mystery element is I don't know like I I feel like with other comics they and again back to the idea of how Robert Kirkman kind of subverts all these uh tropes with a lot of the stories um I feel like they drag out a lot of mysteries or they drag out uh, or even 
overcomplicate the mystery because you know every good mystery has to have a twist or a spin or something like that right yeah and robert kirkman the way he tells the story um he plays it all pretty straight and it works you know so the revelation is it's just a high school teacher who just hates his students because he just feels like they ruined his life and that's it (laughs) you know there's this like huge uh elaborate scheme for what he did he just that's it that's all you needed you know hate that's all the motivation you need man exactly another example that i wanted to point out was um there's always the trope of like the best friend of him like trying to hide uh you know Mm. so mark grayson is trying to hide his superpowers from the world around him including his best friend so there's this one story about how they go and they're checking out colleges and a supervillain attacks. And, you know, they have the entire scene where Mark goes, oh, uh, I got to go, go get, get help. help. <laughs> yeah. And he runs away and then Invincible comes back and he beats up the villain and that's the end of the scene. And then, you know, Mark comes back in his regular clothes and he's like, oh, man, did you see that? I'm glad Invincible showed up to beat him. Boy, oh, boy. And <laughs> And you know, in in most comics that we're accustomed to, this would this sort of thing gets dragged out for like years, you know, uh, because so much of the story is focused around um, secret identity, the secret uh, maintaining the secret identity. Yeah. But Mark Grayson comes back and he's like, "Man, did you see that? I'm sure glad Invincible was around." And the guy, his best friend, is there, and he's just like, "Why didn't you just tell me you had superpowers?" <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. It totally makes sense. It really does. It really does. Um, yeah, but as the story progresses, like for the first couple of stories, they're they're just kind of there to establish the world, uh, establish just what the baseline of the status of the world quo. Is. The status quo, exactly. And uh, eventually, we get introduced to other characters like Adam, Eve, and the Teen Team which uh, in Invincible hangs out which with, which is kind of, they're, they're basically other teen superheroes that he befriends, you know, to, yeah. to help him develop a sense of community. Um, yeah, like I addition- always thought Rexplode was a pretty funny name. I, I, I enjoy like that too. name. Adam Eve is a good one too. Like, yeah, I, they all have these cool names and, and Duplicate. Yeah. Like, her, her name is Duplicate. Like, K-A-T-E. To make duplicates of herself, but it's her name yeah. is Kate's K-A-T-E. Yeah. <laughs> Kate. Well, what was the robot's name? Robot. Yeah, it was just robot, right? Yeah. <laughs> I he guess he's the like one with Zorn the... to me. Did he remind you of Zorn? He did. He he had the 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 similar like the eye holes and the uh the mouth. That weird mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, we also get introduced to other characters like uh, Guardians of the Globe. Guardians of the Globe, which is their version. They're basically the Justice League. Yeah. You know, um, you know so you have like uh, a Green Lantern kind of dude. Character. There's a Martian dude. Uh, yeah. There's a Green Lantern dude. This giant fish guy who's, I guess, their Aquaman dude. <laughs> they have a Wonder yeah, Woman. Exactly. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to keep it consistent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and they're you know they're they basically work with Invincible's dad, Omni Man. So he he's the team that uh, Omni Man isn't necessarily part of the team. I think is what they yeah. I think they said that he's he, not he's not actually a full time member, but he he works with them. Exactly. He he like teams up with them a lot. I guess. Yeah, when they have yeah. to tackle the really big threats. Yep. Um. In addition to that, we also see characters. There's um, there's this one story about how uh, this one alien keeps coming back to Earth. Yeah. And, and he comes to Earth to challenge uh, their champion. And at this period in time, Omni-Man is gone. So Invincible goes out to fight him. Oh, wait, no, no. Omni-Man's not gone at this point. Um, he's like predisposed. Yeah, he's, he's so, on another mission. Yeah. So... Invincible goes and he faces off with the alien and the aliens telepathic so they're able to sort of com- they're able to communicate with one another but eventually just through communication he convinces the alien or the he helps the alien to realize that oh man I've been coming to the wrong planet to challenge their champion for <laughs> like decades now <laughs> his name is Alan the alien yeah, and he goes off, and he's on the surface. He seems like a throwaway joke character, you know. Yeah. But uh, as the series pro- series progresses, he uh, he comes back uh, uh, later on in in these first thirteen issues. And I remember when I was reading that, that was kind of a surprise to me because uh, I was like, oh, he came back. Yeah, there's. It's surprising uh, how how many seeds for future plots are laid laid down early. You know, like it. It. it this is not an insult, but in a way, it's kind of Claremont esque the way that Kirkman decides to uh, have all these different subplots going on. Yeah, and he does it in a way where it's not even explicit that they're necessarily subplots. Subplots, yeah. but but. Um, you know, this isn't my first time reading these issues, so I'm able to see it now where it's like almost like foreshadowing or just at least laying down the groundwork so that, uh, you know, a character that shows up in an early issue, when, when he shows up again later on, you'll understand what his role is or what his deal is because he's already been established um, earlier yeah, on. Yeah. And you just yeah. kind of see that there is a sense of uh, continuity, even... Even something silly where uh, one example I thought was there's this, this I guess, uh, another seemingly throwaway scene early on in one of the issues where Omni-Man is fighting, or uh, yeah, I think it was Omni-Man. He was fighting a guy called Biplane, who was a pretty funny villain. Yeah. Where he, he he's basically the vulture. Just imagine Adrian Toomes, but instead of vulture wings, he has biplane wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Omni Man just—he doesn't really have time to fight this guy, so he just grabs him and chucks him into orbit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like later on, Invincible's in space, and just like as a gag, I think um, in one of the panels, <laughs> yeah, you just see Biplane, his corpse, orbiting the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember seeing that, and I—I I was like, wait, he's still there. Yeah. I chuckled, man. I chuckled when I saw that. Yeah, that's a pretty funny concept for a villain, dude. A guy named Biplane. Yeah. 
there, there was also that other bad guy that looked like the rhino, except this guy was the elephant. Yeah. <laughs> that was he, pretty comical, too. I thought that was a cool... Um, honestly, looking at that, I was like, man, I can't believe no one ever did that, or that hadn't been done yet. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, Marvel gave us all these other animal characters. How come they didn't give us the elephant? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They gave us a rhino. They gave us uh, the grizzly dude. What was his name? Oh, grizzly bear <laughs> i mean we got yeah we got a mandrill i think yeah uh an armadillo yeah i mean there are there are a ton of them it's funny that nobody ever came up with the elephant until invincible yeah oh yeah the, the, there is also that uh that one guy from the back he looks exactly like rorschach yeah um, yeah uh i think he even the way that they draw him, they even have him going, Herm. Yeah. The yeah. lettering looks like how Rorschach's lettering looked in Watchmen. And th- yeah. this guy's name is Damien Darkblood, Demon Detective. <laughs> yeah. It's like, from the back, he looks just like Rorschach. But then when you see his face, he actually looks like uh, some kind of demon dude. And then there's yeah. that scene where he, he goes to investigate a crime scene. And he, he meets these two detectives. And it's basically... Christian Walker and Dina Pilgrim from Powers, except Walker has an eye patch and Pilgrim has a cyborg arm. <laughs> that made me laugh too. That's pretty funny, man. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. There's also that scene where uh, Alan the alien meets these guys that look like the Starship Enterprise. Remember that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like at the beginning, uh, the ship is crashing and. You know they're they're having one of those um, typical, or not typical, but one of those uh, classic Star Trek scenes where you know the captain's shouting orders and trying to save himself from uh, you know falling into a vortex or something. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Alan shows up and he just saves their bacon. Yeah, that's some fun yeah. stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I want to I want to go from there to the main uh i guess the main dramatic turn in the in the story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so you know everything is seemingly fine um there's at this point um invincible's fought a couple of villains he's uh you know solved a couple of cases and you know things things seem to be going fine there's there's a little bit of drama between the teen team adam eve has found out that there's he's been spending a lot of time with uh adam eve and um everyone thinks that there's like potential romance there but you know they've already established that she's in a relationship and with rexplode with rexplode and you know at at this point we discover that he's actually cheating on her with duplicate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we, we have these little moments of drama and, uh, and everything seems fine, but then all of a sudden, uh, Omni man. Well, okay. So all of a sudden there's this other case where the guardians of the globe are all called, and we see them all, uh, they're all called for an emergency meeting. And then all of a sudden, they're just murdered by Omni-Man. And the issue mm-hmm. ends on that note. And as the reader, you're like, oh, man, 
what's the reason for this? There, there's got to be something that you know explains all this, that justifies all this. Maybe they, they're all clones or something, or alien <laughs> replicants or whatever. Omni Man was mind controlled. Yeah, exactly, something <laughs> like that. But then we discover, uh, we discover that. At, at one point later in the story, like they don't they don't address it for a while, but one of the one of the guardians of the globe uh is revived and he, Because his name is Mr. Immortal. His name is Mr. Immortal, and he knows who kills him. It's Omni Man, so he Wait, comes was it Mr. Immortal after... or Immortal Man? It might have been Immortal Man. I forget. Anyway, he was yeah. immortal. Even though he got his head cut off. Some other guys <laughs> attached his head back onto his body and it brought him back to and life. He can, and he continued being immortal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they revived him and he uh, he decides to go after Omni-Man because he clearly remembers Omni-Man killing all of them. So, you know, Omni-Man's off flying with, uh, on, on his own and uh, Omni... Uh, in, the immortal man immortal man whatever he's mr immortal i can't remember i can't remember either i can't remember so he uh i'll go with mr immortal then so mr immortal shows up and he engages omni man in a battle and omni man kills him right on the spot again but this time invincible's right there and he sees the whole thing and he's just like what is up? Like, he sees the whole thing and he overhears Immortal Man saying that, You killed them! You killed them all! <laughs> <laughs> Not just the men, but the women and the and children, children, too! too. <laughs> They're like animals! So I slaughtered them like animals! I hate them! <laughs> Yeah, but Invincible overhears all this and they spend an entire issue talking about it, um, just having this conversation where Invincible's like, what the heck, man? You're a superhero. You're like the superhero here in, on, on, on Earth. Like, what is going on? Tell me it's a, that you're a clone or mind-controlled or something. And Omni-Man proceeds to basically tell invincible that everything that he knows about the his people is has been a fabrication and a lie that he's been telling him that they weren't uh this race of um self-improving enlightened beings that were trying to uh bring enlightenment to the universe they were, they were not more like say what say that again they were not being benevolent they were not benevolent exactly they were if anything they were a warlike race of super beings that super conquerors super conquerors that uh improved themselves through constant combat and constant conquest and um you know the way that their society works is that they, when they're young, come of age, they get sent out into the universe to be essentially like 
harbingers for these planets. Uh, well, not 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 a harbinger, but they're they're sent to infiltrate these planets and to oversee these planets until they are ready to be conquered by the. Mm-hmm. What are, What's the race of people again? I keep forgetting what they're the called. Viltramites. Viltramites. So, so this whole time that uh, Invincible thought that his dad was here uh, to you know protect Earth, really what he's doing is he is protecting Earth, but for for them, for the Viltramites to yeah. conquer, you know, <laughs> and you know, That's and twist. Un- understandably, there's going to be this moment, so. Omni-Man tells him that uh, one of the big things about their species is the older you get, the slower you age. So uh, he he essentially tells him that your mom... He, he literally says this. Your mom is less... is slightly more than a pet to me. Yeah. <laughs> Which was really weird because, like, in a previous comic, he was just having mad sex with her. So, <laughs> like... I'm trying to like connect these two dots, so it's like, so she's a pet, but you clearly didn't have a problem sleeping with your pet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so essentially, what his argument is is that as I, I'm going to, uh, Omni Man tells Invincible that I'm going to live for hundreds and hundreds of years. Like time means nothing to me. Your mother will live and she will die. And that span of time is like nothing to me. Mm-hmm. So I I don't make any connections with this planet at all. This is for this planet is for my people to conquer. And and he basically tells his son, it's it's that Darth Vader moment from Star Wars, right? Where it's like, look, you know, you can join me because it's gonna be the same for you. You're not gonna be able to have relationships with these people. Their their lives will just flicker in an mm-hmm. instant. You know, and you'll you'll still be alive, so you know, join me, and we will conquer the world together. Yeah, and yeah. Understandably, uh, Invincible, you know, doesn't doesn't want that because he cares about his planet. He cares about his friends, and that issue just ends with him basically telling his dad no. And you just see, you know, it's like. So what happens now? And you just see Omni Man clinching his fist. And, <laughs> you know, it's about to go down, and that's oh, just how the issue ends. His boy, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I brought you into this world. I'm gonna take you out. <laughs> and the next issue is just Omni Man and Invincible going at it, and it's not. It ain't a spanking. It's it's significantly more because. It's They're child just abuse. Punching each other through buildings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's mostly Omni Man punching him through buildings. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> it I, I mean, it sounds like it was a two-way fight. He was being punched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting punched through buildings. He's getting punched through a freaking mountain. <laughs> yeah, and then it's like crazy man. Yeah, and in a later on in the issue, they even confirmed that. Thousands of people died over the course of that battle. Yeah. <laughs> that's how like, little Omni care Omni Man cared about what was going on in his immediate vicinity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean Omni very first punch sends Invincible skyrocketing from from the atmosphere into the city and he just straight up crashes through several skyscrapers. You know? <laughs> so like a, a couple of skyscrapers are completely destroyed and 
And it, it looks like it's, like, you know, like the middle of the day or something. Yeah, so there are like full buildings. Yeah. Yeah. And None then, of this. We'll go down to, the, we're going to go and fight by the docks because those docks have been abandoned for years. Yeah. <laughs> None of that stuff. Omni-Man grabs Invincible and they crash through uh, the subway system. And the way that they that the panel is drawn, when they crash through that subway, these trains are getting flipped around and these people are just like crashing through the glass and just flying out. You know, you know, they're, they're get, there's no way that a person can survive those kind of injuries. They did. They did. Yeah, yeah they were totally <laughs> dead. And then like the whole thing collapsed on on the trains anyway. So even if they didn't die in the initial crash, if they were trying to get out, they probably didn't get out. Yeah. 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 It it was a savage, savage beating. Yeah. And, and it was a heck of a twist. It was as a reader, like the whole time you're just like, oh, there's gotta be an explanation for this. Like it's it's that naive, like eternal optimism of there's gotta be like Yeah, something. it's like how how can his dad, who up to this point has been portrayed as a great father, how can his dad do this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like and, I remember the first time I read it way back in the day, I was I was just like on the edge of my seat, gripped by those kind of questions, man. I was trying to figure out why his dad would do that. And and you know, typical thing was like mind controller or something or an imposter but no that ain't the way that they play it man it, it's yeah it's uh yeah his, his father really is this yeah conqueror. robert robert kirkman went with it you know yeah he, uh he he uh he embraced it <laughs> yeah yeah but it, it's it's like such a a powerful issue though even though the entire issue is is a beatdown the the drama at the very end where where mark is just he's he's just a bloody broken mess like he's so he's covered in a, a pool of his own blood uh you know obviously he's still super strong so he can take a beating but but uh he's messed up and he can't fight anymore he can't even he can't even get up he's just lying in a pool of his blood and and his yeah. dad is is Again, lecturing him, saying stuff like, "You're gonna live so long to the, to see the end of civilization. What are you gonna have after 500 years?" And then Mark, all all he can say, he's he can he can't even like do anything, but he's just bleeding out, and he's saying all he says is, "You, Dad, I would still have you." Yeah. Right yeah. when his dad is about to lay the killing blow, and and yeah. like, he says that to his dad, and and you see like a single tear in his dad's eye and he hesitates and then you you flip the page and his dad just flies straight up and you see him just leaving the planet and with tears in his eyes flying away from earth and i was like i remember the first time i read that man i was like i was shaken by that it that was a really a really cool moment like one of the probably one of those moments that's just so memorable that it 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 kind of comes to define the series for me it's it's mm. it's like just that that good of a moment man it's like yeah you, you it's the kind of thing where you you wish every single superhero comic you read had a moment or an issue like that yeah yeah like it's it's really just emotionally like raw right yeah yeah and 
Yeah, that scene that you described is just... Yeah, like, I, I couldn't, like, describe it any better, but just that reading, yeah, the, the moment where, you know, he's just standing over him and he's just beating him bloody and... You know, just to hear him say, like, well, what are you going to have? And his answer just being like, I'm just going to have you, Dad. Like, man, when when that mm-hmm. happened, it was just like, <laughs> it was a super powerful moment. And yeah, yeah, that, that's one of those moments where it's like, that he, <laughs> yeah, he he obviously lost the fight. But when he said that to his dad, it was almost like he won. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that that's like that's like gore was right before that whole story you know <laughs> it's like you you totally just dismantle somebody by saying a couple of words yeah yeah <laughs> if i'm ever beaten up in the subway i'm gonna say that to my uh, to the person assaulting me <laughs> just to see what happens you might have taken my wallet but you want to know what I'll have at the end of this? I'll still have you. <laughs> and the guy's going to start crying. He'll throw the, your wallet back on the ground and just run away. What have I done? <laughs> I mean, I didn't even know the guy. but <laughs> That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, yeah and uh that's pretty much the 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 large turn in that first arc the final issue ends with uh the fallout from from everything that happens so yeah it's it's a really much needed epilogue because it it sets up uh the new status quo going forward because because mark uh, ends up meeting that government dude Cecil, yeah. who actually worked with Omni Man for a bunch of years, and this is the first time he realized that Omni Man was actually he's not on his him. side. Yeah, so he's trusted him all these years, and it turns yeah. out he was he was an alien traitor. Yep. Yeah. So now he's he's helping uh, Mark and and Debbie kind of move on with their lives and gives mark a deal basically uh to become his new agent um yeah and yeah just you know making sure that they'll they'll still have a normal relatively normal life um but now invincible is going to be helping him on on uh protecting the planet and it's, it's also interesting because the way that uh cecil is portrayed he's not like it's weird because he's one of those shady government agent dudes, kind of like a Nick Fury kind of type. Yeah. Yeah, but but he's not played off as a menacing kind of character. Yeah, exactly. And 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 maybe it's a testament to the fact that he's an experienced super spy, that he knows how to... Maybe he's, he's good at manipulating or, or affecting people's perceptions of him, but... but in the issue he he really just comes off as like a good person who who's trying to help yeah exactly like the deal that he sets up is you you'll still continue to be a superhero but uh you know when i call you or when i need you to 
you know, we'll I'll let you know where the trouble is. You go there and you stop it, and we'll continue to pay your bills for you. You know. Yeah, we'll take care of your mom. We'll take care of your college. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, Debbie is like visibly shaken by all this because, uh, yeah, story. They're 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 kind of held away, secreted away to this government location, uh, while damage control is being done, while they're trying to establish whatever narrative they need to establish to explain to the public what's what's been going on and um you know over the course of the comic they come back home to their home and you can see that debbie she's just kind of broken at the core yeah she's in shock yeah she just goes i'm just gonna go upstairs i'm going to sleep and yeah that's just kind of where she's at and yeah, um, understandably so. I mean, her whole world has been rocked. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, it's it's something that is basically unfathomable because that's not the kind of thing that ever happens um, in real life. You know, like you don't know, but there's yeah. there's not really uh, any precedent for that. So, you know, in the story, the fact that she learns her husband that she's loved all these years uh, is this actually this alien uh conqueror who plans yeah. to be the dictator of earth and yeah. you know treats her like a pet yeah you know and he said all these horrible things about her you know i, I don't i can only imagine i can only use my imagination to picture uh what she's going through yeah and they it, revealed yeah they actually revealed that the earpiece that omni-man has when he's commuting, communicating with his government handlers, they recorded the entire conversation that him and Invincible had. And, you know, all that stuff about, you know, how Omni-Man, you know, sees Debbie basically little more than a pet. Yeah. That recording, he played that for her. And, you know, and his justification being that, look, if I had tried to sugarcoat this, she would have had a harder time letting it go and it could have been more damaging to her. She needs to like, except she needs to hear the truth for what it is. And she needs yeah. to uh, handle it in whatever sh- way she needs to handle it. It's, mm-hmm. it's the only way, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's a harsh reality, but there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I was going to say like, talking to you about this it it kind of reminds me of this interview i remember uh i remember watching with grant morrison when he was talking about all-star superman mm-hmm. and, uh all-star superman uh like grant morrison was trying to explain what it is about superman that uh is so appealing and one of the things that grant morrison was saying was that superman has all these superpowers but he's so human at the same time, right? Yeah. So, so everything he does is very human, but on this scale that's epic, you know? So he has a dog, but it's a super dog. Yeah. He walks this dog, but instead of walking it on the, on the, uh, in the park, he walks it on the moon, you know? And yep. that's the thing that, for Grant Morrison, like really 
captures his imagination. And I think that applies to Invincible too. Because it's like... You know... It, for people who are experiencing the drama of this... It's like... It's pushed to the nth degree. Because... What you're experiencing when you're reading this story is... The discovery... It, it's the growing pains and the discovery that I, I, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but I do think that a common theme in a lot of uh, stories about growing up is finding out that your parents aren't always as good or as perfect as you believe them to be. You know, mm -hmm. when you're a child and you're growing up and you think to your parents, you think your parents can do everything and anything and you think that they're infallible and that they know everything, but there's always this come this moment of reality <clears throat> for every child, I assume, when they realize that their parents aren't all that mm -hmm. great or all that perfect or all that knowledgeable. And for Mark Grayson, it's it's that ex exact same principle that applies, which is you know he has that same revelation but it's to the nth degree so his he he growing up he his dad literally was the greatest superhero on earth with the ability to move mountains mm -hmm. you know the the same way that we believe that our parents are able to do everything and anything as children and for and again like him finding out that his dad is just this awful person who's who basically abandons the family but again because it's a superhero comic it's on this epic level like yeah i, I totally feel that what grant morrison was saying about um all-star superman totally applies here to what robert kirkman did with invincible yeah yeah totally his his problem with his his disillusionment with his father is on an epic scale. That that's the equivalent of upgrading from the dog park to the moon. Yeah, exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It was that interview was from uh, it was from so it was all all star Superman. They made a uh animated movie about it, and that animated movie actually came with this uh like a featurette where you know Grant Morrison was just talking about all all of his ideas on Superman. And I, I thought that was a really interesting, like short featurette, but what he had to say, like really rang true in this case, in this scenario. Yeah. It, it's uh, just one of those high concept uh, superhero ideas. Like it, 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 it takes basically what is, uh, a basic everyday or universal kind of experience but just amplifies it to this ridiculous degree yeah yeah i also really liked how at the end of uh, issue 13 he he meets alan the alien again and they uh, right, right, have right. that conversation it's a heart to heart i really liked it too like the Alan the alien at this point was someone who was, well, I wouldn't say he was an adversary, but he was a guy that uh, Invincible fought and presumed was a threat to the planet. 
and this guy comes back and the first thing invincible does is he you know he thumps someone in the back he sucker punches him in the back He's, yeah <laughs> but but then you know instead of that entire incident devolving into a fight alan's just like oh hey i was gonna tell you that a viltramite has been located in this sector and you better like watch out and you know at this point uh everything's already been revealed to invincible to mark so he's just like oh yeah i know and you know they have this entire discussion where alan the alien talks about how oh man things might have been different if i had you know told you sooner and yeah i i will say this i do like that one scene where so at this point so much has happened so um you know instead of having mark grayson just kind of tell like repeat everything that's happened you know uh mark just basically says here let me tell you about it and then there's just this uh they mm-hmm. pull out and the scene is just him and alan sitting on this abandoned planet out in space i think it's and just it's, the moon it's just the moon yeah and yeah. it's just it's just a really lonely and somber and quiet scene you don't see any text you don't see any talking but you just know what the severity of the moment is after everything that's already happened yeah know? yeah that's some good storytelling and it, it, it works is. so well because that that uh that panel it, it's it's this really uh i guess i guess i'd call it a widescreen kind of shot yeah yeah that's that's a good way to describe yeah it. both of them are just these small figures in the distance and you see the little rocks and crags in the landscape and yeah like you said he kirkman doesn't need to write any words in that panel because you know that they're they're talking so it it saves us the trouble of having to get everything recapped again yeah but it it speeds things along but gives us yeah. this moment where in your imagination it's it's almost like what you imagine that conversation to actually be like is probably yeah. better than whatever Kirkman could have written, you know? Exactly, exactly. And, and that was Chris, Chris Claremont. Yeah. He would have filled that in with so <laughs> much extemporaneous like dialogue and text. Yeah, he he would have just recapped the previous 12 issues to us in like yeah. a single page. <laughs> yeah. It would have been pretty painful to read. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, Kirkman is no Claremont. Yeah. But Alan yeah. definitely becomes a... He's one of my favorite characters in the story. He's he's a supporting character that uh, shows up uh, again and again. So yeah. I, I like how how they used him in this. It's a good introduction. And, and like even this conversation at the end of the... At the end of issue 13, where he just tells Invincible about his own origin and how how uh, the Viltrumites destroyed his planet. I noticed this time around, if you actually go back and look at the issue where Omni-Man tells Mark the truth. There's actually a panel where you see the Viltramites raising Alan's planet. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. that. Yeah. That's, that's one of those things where it's, it's like a small detail. I I don't think I noticed it the first time I read it, but this time around, because I already knew what Alan looked like and he, you know, he resonated me, resonated with me as a character. When I saw his planet getting messed up in, in that one panel. I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, that's cool that they put that in there, you know? And, and you, you, you see something like, uh, Alan, he says, uh, he talks about how his, 
his planet was destroyed and and everything was laid waste and now uh the survivors just to keep their species alive they have like breeding camps and and child raising colonies like that that's the kind of stuff where it's it's such a like sad and tragic concept to imagine but it it makes sense that that kind of uh thing would happen you know like if if you were the last survivors of of a planet and all you really needed all you wanted to do was to keep your species alive like yeah i guess that's the kind of thing you would have to resort to it's just kind yeah. of kind of wild you know like a wild thing to see on paper yeah yeah for sure yeah and that's that's the first year of invincible comics the first uh 13 issues i believe right yeah the first 13 issues it's Uh, a little more than a year if you consider that every issue comes out every month but yeah close enough the first arc yeah it's close enough yeah yeah so for those of you guys listening if if you want to keep up with us as we do our read through of the series in what one of our episodes next month at some point, uh, assuming, you know, everything goes according to plan. Uh, the next issues that we'll cover will be issues 14 through 25. So that'll be volumes four and five. If you're reading the trade paperbacks. Yep. Let me, let me ask you a question, Albert. Sure. Shoot. Where does Omni man rank in terms of best dads? Pretty sure he like I'm pretty sure once he lays hands on uh Mark <laughs> that puts him towards the bottom. Um there's probably only one other thing he could have done that would have made him the absolute worst, but I'm not gonna mention it on this podcast. What is it? Uh you remember how we were talking about um how when Mark and Alan the alien were talking, but there wasn't any text because the power of your imagination as a reader can produce something more powerful than any text that Robert Kirkman could write. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna use that same principle here. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're you're depending on my ability to imagine the worst possible thing that Omni Man could do. Uh, either that or I'm going to put it on you to use your imagination to imagine the kind of debauchery that I would imagine. Okay. <laughs> well, I, you know, I have a pretty powerful imagination. So if I'm imagining your imagination correctly... Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we shouldn't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is about there, you? What... Is there any father in comics that's worse than Omni-Man? Man. Uh, any father in comics that's worse than Omni-Man? Uh Who who are the contenders for worst dads alongside Omni Man? 
I was going to say, is Doom... I mean, Doom has a surrogate son. Does that count? Mm, not really. He's not not really an adopted son either. Okay. He's just um, a ward. That's not the same thing. It's not? Okay. I'm trying to think who else has children. What about the Green Goblin? Norman Osborn and Harry Osborn. Oh, he sucks. Yeah, Norman Osborn's a pretty bad father, but is he where, where does he rank compared to Omni-Man? Um, I would say about the... What's the worst thing that Norman has ever done to Harry? Well, the thing is, Norman's been around a lot longer, and, um, you know, his his history, like, they've they've done all sorts of things with Norman that some good and some bad. Uh, and when I say good, I don't mean like what he did was good. I just mean like story wise, it was good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a lot of crazy things that he did. He he slept with their high school friend. That was <laughs> that was pretty disturbing. Yeah, yeah, that was that was bad. Yeah, that wasn't directly against Harry though. Yeah. Well, what I was gonna say was, Norman uh, approaches Harry. And and sort of does that thing where, you know, he 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 you know tempts him with uh, the dark side or whatever, however you want to phrase that. He's emotionally and abusive. He's super emotionally abusive. Is he physically abusive? Did he ever lay his hands on his son? I think he did, or if I think they at least implied that he was physically abusive to him. Okay, okay. But um, you know, he's still. I think at the end of the day, uh, Omni-Man, you know, gave Mark that same speech where he tells him that, you know, you can join me in my cause and Mark, you know, Invincible clearly rejects him. Whereas I'm pretty sure Harry succumbed, 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 (laughs) succumbed, succumbed, is that the word? Is that a word? Succumbed, succumbed to norman's uh manipulation so that's kind of the same right um well i guess it depends from your point of view did harry choose to become the green goblin out of his own volition or did he become the green goblin because after a life of being emotionally and physically abused by his father he turned to drugs and went mad Uh, I guess I'll put that on Norman. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. I'm pretty sure Norman was like either secretly or not so secretly drugging him. <laughs> I also oh, no, remembered like... how after Harry had died, there was yeah. there have been stories where Norman would go after Harry's son. Yeah. So it's pretty messed up thing to basically um you know kidnap your own grandson that's that's yeah. pretty bad i don't know it's i mean but the beating that omni man gives the invincible is still it's hard to top that yeah i'm pretty sure norman never 
hit Harry anywhere near as hard as that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think he ever left him in the hospital or anything like that. He never punched him through a, a skyscraper. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's not that bad of a father. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, it's kind of tough to think of any other really bad dads. Yeah, I mean there are. I don't think there are a lot of dads in. Well, no, Thanos. Oh, that's true. Thanos is a dad. He's that's true. probably substantially yeah. worse than uh, uh, Omni Man, right? That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanos, Thanos has a bunch of half the universe. Yeah, and he's he's a deadbeat, and a, uh, he he yeah. he went around the cosmos, uh, mur- straight up murdering all of his babies. So yeah, he murdered all of his. Well, most first, of them. He went around the cosmos, just spawning a bunch of kids with a whole bunch of different people. Yeah, and then he went around killing all of them because he did. He I don't think. What was it? He couldn't stand the idea of them being associated with him. Yeah, he didn't want his seed growing up and running around. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So I'll give it to yeah. Thanos. Yeah. yeah, Thanos is probably the worst. I can't think of a worse father than Thanos. Is Darkseid worse than Thanos? Well, Darkseid just abuses his kids, but he doesn't kill them. Well, that's true. Well, well, I guess sometimes he, they get hit by the Omega effect and I don't know what exactly happens to them, but they usually seem to come out okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Obviously. and as far as I know, Darkseid doesn't have as many kids as, as Thanos and yeah, he hasn't gone well, to all these different planets trying to murder them all. Yeah. Mathematically speaking... He's murdered a lot less kids, so... Well, he, he's murdered a lot less of his own kids. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if he's actually murdered less kids. Exactly. He's murdered <laughs> a lot less of his own kids. Yeah. I think Thanos, by far, has murdered more of his own children just by sheer volume. Yeah. Like, when you have that many kids, yeah. and you go around killing the majority of them, you're yeah. a pretty big mass murderer of your own... Yeah children yeah so yeah it, it it would be pretty hard to top that so yeah if, if anyone's if anyone out there listening has any uh <laughs> suggestions as who's a worse father than thanos hit us up because i'd really want to know is there someone that we're forgetting or overlooking <laughs> yeah i guess it's got to be thanos at number one and maybe omni man at number two or dark side yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right to me. Uh, I can't really think of who else has uh, super children. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, do you have any recommendations, Drew, for uh, comics that are spiritually, uh, that are, you know... Mm-hmm that are spiritually uh in sync with invincible yeah yeah I, I think if if anyone has read invincible 
and enjoys uh, these first 13 issues and, and you like that, I mean, obviously continue reading the series because it, it will not let you down. It's just as good and gets probably even gets better, I would say. Um, but but outside of Invincible, um, probably the the main ones that come to mind would be the other big comics that we mentioned briefly earlier. Um, just, you know, the, the teenage superhero comics like Ultimate Spider-Man. That's probably the big one. It came out yeah. around the same time period. I think it started a little bit earlier, but, you know, it was... They were both hitting their stride in the in the early mid two thousands. There's a in the hardcover actually um, the copy that I have. Bendis wrote the introduction and he tells these this funny story about how every time he sees uh, Robert Kirkman, Robert Kirkman kept saying that he'd want to write Ultimate Spider Man after Bendis was done, <laughs> and and Bendis was like, "Yeah, I'm never gonna leave Ultimate Spider Man." So there, there's like an obvious uh, mutual respect between them. Uh, it w- it would have been interesting to see if <clears throat> what would have happened if Kirkman actually had been able to write Ultimate Spider-Man. But yeah, I guess he really had a desire at some point to to write a teenage superhero comic. Yeah, I mean, I it's also interesting that. I mean, this is a little uh, just extra information just for the sake of it. But um, I was on YouTube and I was watching an interview with Robert Kirkman. uh, And, you know, he was talking about his days at Marvel, his very brief period at Marvel. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, he does not have a lot of affection for Marvel. uh, So much so that he even broke his contract in order to go to Image. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. you had a bad time there, huh? Yeah, essentially, uh, I want to say that it was just a conflict of work styles. So uh, the way that Robert Kirkman talked about it was he was someone who who was really engaged in the, um, in the process of making comics, right? Mm-hmm. So he, he wanted to be able to not just write, but he wanted to be involved in the editing process and he wanted to be involved in like the marketing of his comics he really wanted to be involved on like multiple levels of his comics yeah but the way but what he was saying was that the way that they do it at marvel was everyone was very much uh protective of whatever uh lane that they were in so you know he would go to the editors in you know, in the spirit of uh, collusion, is that collaboration? Collaboration, yeah. In the spirit of collaboration, and you know, be like, "Hey, I, I have some ideas, or I want to hear your ideas. Let's see what we can do to make the book better." And the way that he talked about it was that essentially the editors at Marvel would be like, "Look, this is my job. I don't need you coming in here, like, getting in my business," mm-hmm. and. And for each, um, for each uh, aspect of the of the comic book publishing process, he would encounter uh, very similar attitudes. You know, yeah. so he would go to like the marketing people and be like, "Hey, we should try to 
you know, do these sorts of things to draw attention to the comic. Like, let's try this, let's try that. And they were just very, uh, again, protective of the work that they were doing. Mm -hmm. And so much so to the point where they would like complain to the higher ups and he, Mm. he just did not like that process at all. And to the point where, uh, I forget if he said he was talking to Todd McFarlane even. I think, I'm pretty sure it was Todd McFarlane. Uh, and he was talking with T-Mac and basically he just, you know, it started with a couple of small conversations between the two of them. And uh, and 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 it was just kind of feeling out what the situation was. And... It ended with Kirkman basically saying, like, hey, if you give me a chance to work over here at Image, like, I'll break my contract at Marvel. Because at the time, he was exclusive. And mm-hmm. on that same video, he he did not uh, mince words. He just hated working at Marvel. He thought it sucked. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And I, I guess it worked out for him in his career. I mean, he yeah. ended up becoming one of the partners of image comics. Yeah. And the thing about him is uh, from that same interview, like there are a lot of comics creators and writers who, who dream about, you know, being able to work for Marvel or DC just to be able to play with their toys, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's, that's, that's the dream for a lot of people. Like I, I have to admit that, you know, I'm, I'm no writer, but, you know, if I got the chance to 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 write a Spider-Man story or uh, to write the Avengers or the X-Men or whatever, I would like love to do that, right? Yeah. But Robert Kirkman did not strike me as the kind of guy where he uh, I idealizes those things so much that he would be willing to ignore his. Uh, his creative process you know like i yeah again at the time he had an exclusive contract with marvel and he was totally willing to break it uh in order to do his own thing and he hasn't looked back since and he doesn't look back at marvel uh with this sense of man i want to write spider-man someday or whatever like it it just feels like he's he's completely washed his hands of them yeah I remember when he joined Image, he he released something like a manifesto, basically, um, and basically communicated a lot of the the stuff that you just said. But I didn't know like he was specific about all those details that you shared. I just remember the way that it came off was. Um, like the general broad strokes of what you mentioned, you know, like how he, he didn't want to continue breaking his back doing subpar work because he would be hamstrung creatively by all these other people that, yeah, technically they might be doing their jobs, but really they're just making it harder for him to do his job, which is make, make good comics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he, he really encouraged people to you know follow his path basically go to image and create your own uh, comic control your own destiny be in creative command of your own works which makes a lot of sense but 
at the same time, it's like not that easy for everybody else, you know, like he, at that point, Walking Dead was already a hit, you know, so he had the, the ability to just walk away from Marvel. He, he, it, it was fine for him because he had a hit book that he could keep on pumping out. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, even at that point, um, I don't think the TV show was in the works yet or anything, but, but, uh, at the very least, you could say that between The Walking Dead and Invincible and even some of the other uh, image books that he was doing, like I remember he did something called The Astounding Wolfman. Mm-hmm. There were probably a couple other ones. You know, he was still able to to put out a lot of good comics and and I assume make a decent enough living off of it uh, that he could go to, to image. But... You know, we've seen a lot of other people do books at Image and, and they didn't really last. You know, like those series might get canceled after like six issues or, you know, if they're lucky, 12 or 15. And then they never get completed because just the lack of sales and lack of interest. So it, it's it's hard, man. It, it's not everybody who creates a Walking Dead and can just yeah. have the, have the uh, you know, ability to do their own thing and and now he's he's got uh a bunch more series that he's created in the years since um yeah. the most recent one being uh firepower which which i haven't read yet but it's something i definitely want to read he it, the artist is chris samney and the they did do a pretty interesting launch for the series because i think the first thing that they released was a trade paperback like the first Whoa. six issues was was like a 10 buck volume and that was like the first thing that that came out that's pretty cool yeah so it, he, he's putting i mean he he's a guy and and there are other examples of things that he's done and he so i would say he is a guy that that puts his money where his mouth is you know like you mentioned he was talking about how when he was at marvel he wanted to get involved in the marketing and and things like that so he now that he's got his own studio at image he does do that man he he does try new things and and he's willing to to take a risk you know and yeah you could even say that it's it's unique even for for image you know not everybody else at image tries the same things they, they probably can't even tr- they probably cannot even try those same things that kirkman does because yeah. kirkman's got enough success that he can take a risk where where he yeah. can do something crazy like launch a series with a trade paperback volume. You know, not everybody's yeah. going to do that. And the thing is, like, and this is just from observation, but he's he strikes me as the kind of person who's who's got a lot of determination. Mm-hmm. And um, not, that isn't to say that uh, other creators or writers don't have that level of determination because, you know, in order to pursue a career in uh writing or or anything where you 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 know you're going to try to make it big it's going to require a lot of determination but he just yeah there was just something about how he comes off that just shows that he's like a ball of energy you know like mm-hmm. again he was super determined to do things to like spitball ideas and to follow through on those ideas and that's not necessarily everybody that's not a lot of people yeah yeah 
Yeah. He's able to forge his own path and be successful. I think when we were when we did our uh, Mark Miller episode the a few months ago, uh, we, we mentioned how Mark Miller and Kirkman are two of the most, uh, I guess, successful comics creators of the modern or the recent era, uh, especially yeah. if you're talking about just the freedom and creativity they have in what they do, as well as um, financial success. It's like they, they're able to pretty much do almost anything they want probably and they're able to take risks and do different stuff and dabble in movies and and television and things of that nature i do think that a lot of people uh take the mark miller and robert kirkman as examples uh and i think a lot of people definitely love to have uh that kind of uh the same kind of career trajectory where they're just basically in command of their own uh, professional destinies, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's a very rare thing. Yeah. Speaking of of which, uh, the Invincible animated series is uh, coming up. Oh, I, actually, my bad. Before we uh, talk about that, the other... Uh, Two other recommendations real quick. Uh, if you liked reading Invincible, I would recommend reading Static from from Milestone Comics. From This was the 90s comics uh, that uh, DC published uh, for, uh, for on behalf of Milestone. Uh, so, so Static was... They ended up making a cartoon of Static called Static Shock, which was a, a fun show. Um, but if, if you, if you're interested in reading like a nineties teen superhero comic, I would definitely say seek out static, uh, created by uh, Dwayne McDuffie, uh, and some, a few other people. I think Dennis Cowan co-created him. The the early issues were written by Robert L. Washington third, and it was drawn by the great John Paul Leon. Like those comics still hold up. The only thing is that they're kind of hard to find because they've never really all been collected. And I, I don't even think that they're on comiXology. They're not. Well, okay. So I think recently DC has made a push to start putting them out there, but only in limited quantities. Yeah. So it's not the full run. Yeah. So it's like only the first six issues or something like that. Or maybe, um, I do think, think i remember hearing news maybe even this was today but uh they were saying that they're they're that dc's digital streaming uh company would release uh the milestone comics uh over time but the thing about that is DC's pretty unreliable, so, like, I don't know if that means that they intend to do it all over time, or if they're just going to do it until they decide not to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. At, at which point, like, even if you're buying them digitally, there's a chance you'll never really know how the story ends, because they're bastards. 
Well, the 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 way the service is, it's it's kind of like uh, Marvel Unlimited, right? So DC service is called DC Infinite, and isn't that one of those things where you pay for the subscription and you just have access to their entire library of comics? You don't actually well, own the, the comics. But that's the thing. I don't think everything is currently, uh, like uploaded or you know digitized or whatever the term is. Oh, okay. Like like their digital library doesn't include everything. Okay. So I think their intention is to slowly add to their digital library and expand it uh, over time to include as much as possible. But, you know, their libraries are just so vast that it's hard for me to, like, I can't speak for them. I don't know where they're, they're going to intend to stop or where they intend to, like, focus their expansion. So, yeah. Yeah, and who knows how committed they'll actually be to to putting exactly. the comics out. Exactly. Like, I I think the main point here is like, I don't know if I have the greatest amount of faith in them as a publisher or even as people, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, do, to do the competent thing. Yeah. Or not even competent to do the sensible thing. That is true, man. That is true. Yeah. One final recommendation. We have Gravity, which was a five-issue Marvel Comics miniseries from 2005 by Sean McKeever and Mike Norton. This is kind of a forgotten miniseries. I mean, the character Gravity was this teenage hero, but he, he showed up in a few other things here and there, but he's never really taken off on his own. Like... As far as I can recall, this was the only solo series he had, just these five issues. But at least you can find these on Comixology and I assume Marvel Unlimited if you have that. So it's it's definitely worth a read. It's it's fun stuff. Yeah. So yeah, let, let's talk a little bit about this upcoming Invincible uh, cartoon that Amazon Prime is putting out. They've already released uh, a couple of clips online and a trailer uh, and it's supposed to start streaming on March 26th. Mm-hmm. So what are your initial thoughts about what you've seen of it so far? Yeah, um, they put up some clips on YouTube. And just looking at it, I have to say that it looks exact uh, like, as far as I'm concerned, it looks exactly like the comic. And yeah, uh, that's... That's basically all I need. I mean, I, I, I would need it to be well done too. Like I want it to be, I want it to be uh, true to the comic as much as possible. But if the art is any indication of how uh, close that they're going to adhere to the comic, then uh, they have my confidence. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure it helps, dude, having Cory Walker as the main character designer. Yeah, he's able to give it that uh, cohesiveness with the with the comic, and it really does look just like the comic book, but in animated form. Yeah, I mean the other thing I was gonna mention is like Rob, Robert Kirkman does feel uh, he feels like a person who takes a lot of pride in his properties and has a lot of care to make sure that they are portrayed. Um, accurately 
to the world. So yeah. uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he has a very strong amount of input in what the actual final product of the cartoon is going to be. Yeah. Uh, so that in and of itself should give me faith that whatever the the final product of the cartoon ends up being, it's going to be pretty true to the Invincible comic. Yeah. So you are you expecting or hoping that it'll be pretty much a straight adaptation of the of all the issues? Um <laughs> uh, Yeah, yeah, I you know what? I'd be fine with that. I I I guess I'm just evolving as a person cuz there would have been a time where I I would have wanted where the yeah where what i would have wanted most was just a straight adaptation but i guess nowadays uh there is a part of me that that wonders or not even wonders but there's a part of me that is more flexible and willing to accept that if they if the creative people behind the the animation decide to go in a different direction or to do things slightly differently. As long as it's good, I don't really care too much. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be a stickler for um, having that story be portrayed exactly as is. Yeah. um, Because I have the comics and that's fine. Yeah, that's true. That's true, man. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I think, I'm pretty similar to you in this. I think I probably, probably in my heart of hearts, I would prefer it just to be a straight adaptation of the comics. Because if you do that, then you almost guarantee that it's not going to suck, you know? Yeah. Like if you just stick with what's in the comic, then at the very least, we know that it'll be a great story. And, And if they try to do something different, you never know. Something could go awry and it could end up, uh, yeah being a yeah. disappointment yeah but at, at the same time uh you know even if, if they do try doing their own take on invincible and it goes a different direction than what we expect yeah and it, it ends up not being that good it doesn't diminish my appreciation or my love for the comic yeah i mean if anything making a bad show would make my love for the comic even greater because then i'm yeah. even more appreciative of it yeah the other thing I was going to say is a lot of the times with um, when when you have the creative person, the creator of the comic working on on the show, a, a lot of the times what we do see is that they take that as an opportunity to explore different ideas that they and different directions that they never had a chance to take mm-hmm. when they were first writing the comic or the original version of the, the, the story that they were telling, um, you know, the creative process requires you to produce a lot of different potential, uh, story points. And clearly you don't end up using all of those story points, uh, in your, 
in your final product right because um you know you just felt like this one was better or you didn't have a fully fleshed out idea for how this other uh plot point would have gone and at the time uh that that just felt right but as we evolve as people as as they evolved as writers and creators um yeah like it's who knows what they could have uh personally gone through to change their perspective on the story that they wanted to tell who knows what uh what they would put down what they could put down to um give you a different perspective on on whatever story it is that they're going to tell so Mm -hmm. there yeah there's there's a part of me especially in the case of invincible where if robert kirkman uh sees this as a chance to you know do it again but this time to do it a little differently because there was just something that he wanted to explore but never got a chance to because you know it's the road not taken right yeah. So, it, and he decides to go back to the cartoon and use it as an opportunity to try that out. I, I'm I'm not against that. So what if, what if for the plot twist when Omni Man reveals to to Mark that he's a Viltrumite conqueror, Mark ends up joining him. Um. You know what? There's story potential there too. Like. If that's the way Robert Kirkman wants to go with it, I'd be like, okay, <laughs> let's see, let's see where you go with it, man. That w- that would be a heck of a twist for people that are into the comic, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. Like he would have found a way to create a new twist in something that was already a twist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How's that for Inception? <laughs> that, that sounds funny, man. <laughs> One thing about the cartoon is that I learned that Mark Grayson is one of us, man. He's not just a Voltramite. He's Asian. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. (laughs) (laughs) You can claim him, dude. And his mom is Asian. I'll take it. Mark Grayson, we welcome you with open arms. Yep. Steven Yun is playing Mark Grayson and Sandra Oh is playing Debbie Grayson. So yeah. we got two Asians in the main cast. Yo, he's Feeling the good about that Asian superhero that we've been longing for, that we've needed all these years. Yeah, man. You know, when I was reading the comic, the very first time I ever read it back in the day, I, it never once crossed my mind that Debbie was Asian. Huh. And but now that I'm reading it again, and I know that in the in the cartoon she's Asian. I feel like I can see she's Asian now, dude. <laughs> it just feels more Asian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah right, right. I mean, when I was originally reading it, it didn't feel like she was coded that way. But but now that now that I know the voices, man, Mark and Debbie in the comic, it feels like they're Asian to me. <laughs> so I'm just going to claim them, man. Nice, nice. I, and I will follow suit because, well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> we don't have too many Asian superheroes, man. At least not too yeah, many. Yeah, we got to take whatever, whatever yeah. opportunities we can, man. For sure. Exactly, exactly. 
so it'll it'll be fun man I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to the cartoon i want to see what they end up doing jk simmons is playing omni man nice so that'll that'll be Another fun like that. yeah jk simmons is he's fun man he's always fun to watch yeah totally heck uh mark hamill is gonna be on it really i think he's I want to say he's playing the 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 Taylor dude, but I could be wrong, so don't quote me on that. And I also saw that um, Seth Rogen is playing Alan the Alien. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. Like Seth Rogen has, in recent years, really been letting his uh, his comics, his inner comics fan, out into the world. He's a uh, He's produced a lot of comic-based shows. Yeah, so, like Preacher, right? That was him? And Preacher and The Boys. Oh, The Boys was him too? I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I think he, he really liked Garth Ennis because of Preacher. So oh, that's why... That yeah, that's why he was able to... Or that's why he pushed to have The Boys be a, be a thing. And... Mm-hmm. Now the boys is doing so well that they're even talking about spinoffs. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I've I watched season one and I enjoyed it. Like I think season two came out, and within uh, by two episodes, I think Amazon said that they were committed to uh, another spinoff show. Oh, spinoff. Okay. I don't. I don't know if they committed to like another season, but um, they were committed to a spin-off show within the same universe. I see, I see. Yeah. So. I also heard that um Seth Rogen is going to produce a live action Invincible movie. Apparently that's still in production or in development, development. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it'll I guess it'll be unrelated to the animated series, so we're, we're going to get the cartoon and we're we're going to get a live action movie maybe. So, yeah. We'll see what's what, yeah. man. I mean, see, that's the interesting thing, though. If if the if the cartoon ends up being a straight adaptation of the comic, but the live action movie also just becomes another yeah, like condensed straight adaptation of the comic. That's a good point. Like, don't get me wrong. Uh, like the comic is good, so it's like you said. I'll know that those things will be good too, but. At some point, it's just going to be like, do I really need that many versions of this story? Yeah, yeah, that's tr- that's true, man. Yeah. Part of me kind of hopes that the if the TV series or if, yeah, if the cartoon series ends up uh, taking more liberties with the comic, I would hope that they at least keep the general plot beats the same like I, I wouldn't want them to do something so drastic as to have mark join his father in trying to conquer earth mm. you know like that that's that's the twist within the twist that that would be maybe crossing the line for me in, in terms of like what i personally want but if they were to do something like where uh the entire first season of the show we don't learn that Omni-Man is a Vultramite conqueror. We just see him as a great father. So, um, you know, for people that 
that haven't read the comic, they can get invested in, in the family aspect of, of the series and really feel the pain when he does reveal who he is. Yeah. Yeah. But if, if they, if they do it too fast, man, it, it's almost going to be like, it doesn't really matter as much in a way where if, if they're not re- like, let's say they do like one or two episodes and then in like episode three, he, he uh, shows who he is. Like it, it yeah. feels like it wouldn't have the same impact because, because uh, dragging it out longer would give you a chance as a viewer to, um, I guess, <clears throat> bond with the character a little bit more. I will say this about the comic though. And I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because um, we mentioned earlier that there are a lot of story tropes that we recognize in Invincible that get subverted. Mm-hmm. I think I well I, I think I did mention it earlier but I think a lot of the story elements are things that we end out uh, that in other comics they would have dragged out for years and years and years uh, over yeah. the course of, of issues and Invincible doesn't do that because they just kind of punch straight to the point but the thing that I do like about Invincible I, the thing about that about invincible that i like is that even though all these things happen so quickly it's paced so well that it doesn't feel like it's rushed it doesn't feel like yeah it's unearned it doesn't feel like it's just happening as a a dumb coincidence or anything like that like you genuinely feel like the pace of the story is organic and that these things are happening at a reasonable rate of progression you know yeah yeah that's a good point yeah so all right uh any other final thoughts on invincible before we uh sign off no i'm i'm glad that we are going through it and i'm looking forward to to uh reading more of the series and Heck, man, maybe when the show comes out, we can check out the show and Mm -hmm. compare notes. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Yeah, if anyone's got any messages for us, um, feel free to hit us up on our Instagram or on our email at betweenthegutterspodcast at gmail.com. You know, let us know what your thoughts are on, on the topic and... Uh, if you have any further questions on Invincible. Yeah. And if anyone is interested in what we're going to do for our next episode. So next week, uh, what we plan to do is to do a discussion of Akira, the movie. So for those of you who have been listening for a while, you might remember that during our uh, Marvel Top 25 countdown, one of the books that we shared about was Akira, uh, even though it wasn't an original Marvel book, it still made our list because Marvel published it under its Epic Comics imprint. And Akira, uh, you know, obviously one of the most famous manga here in the West also was arguably an even more famous anime film that really helped uh, popularize anime in America um, in the early 90s. But we're, we're going to take 
a dive into that. You know, we've had episodes where we talked about the different Marvel movies and stuff. So we just thought it'd be fun to talk about a movie adaptation of another comic that we've already talked about in our in our show. So if you want to prepare for that, uh, yeah, try to watch Akira uh, before before next week. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. In betweeners. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, bye guys. You you got you got your thing. I got my thing, man. (laughs) I feel weird calling our fan base gutter trash. Yeah, well, I'm doing it ironically, and you know, you're just a more genuine and sincere guy. I've got no (laughs) sense of irony. I don't even know what sarcasm is. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but. I am a completely straight-faced buffoon. (laughs) Thanks for listening, everybody. This is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out.